All right, so we're walking through this letter to Titus in, in a series I'm calling The Next Life on the Island of Now because these people on this island were kind of lost in themselves in their own little world. And we looked the first week at kind of the setting, understanding that we are the next ones. This is about us, that God gives to each generation uh, what is necessary to accomplish what he wants them to do and prepare. Then the next week, we looked at the next generation, making sure as uh, Donna reminded us that we're not uh, a one-and-done generation church. So now <clears throat> we really get to what we might consider <clears throat> in this uh, short letter the hard stuff, uh, the tough stuff. I'm not so sure. Not that what we're going to look at is easy, but it is under our control. Uh, I want to talk about the next way to live and behave, and we've heard some of this already as John read it so well for us, but I'd like to start reading in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, where it says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone despise you. And we continue in chapter 3 where he says, remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and to show humility toward all men. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. And we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness of God, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So, this passage really calls us to individual choices in behavior. So much of life, as I said, is out of our control. At least this is up to us, and we can do this. Here's what he asks of us. A yes and a no. A no to ungodliness, and we read that in verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So we're supposed to say no to a certain kind or certain kinds of behavior then yes to doing what is good. Again, a behavior. Verses 1 and 2 of verse 3. Listen to these carefully. Remind the people, so I'm reminding you, right? To be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. That's what you're supposed to do. And the other is what you're not supposed to do. 
Now, it's not that we can't do these things. We can. We just don't. And we don't want to. We've created poor habits. Or these things have never really been asked of us. One of the plights, I believe, of America today is how little we really require of ourselves. We think we have it tough and we haven't got a clue. And we've made ourselves such spoiled brats. We don't do what we're supposed to do and we do what we're not supposed to do just because nobody's ever asked us otherwise. Or we haven't asked these things of ourselves. Sometimes even in the name of freedom because we think freedom is getting to do whatever you want to do. But it's not. You see, we can do what God wants us to do. We just need a good reason and the proper perspective. And this is what I want you to see this morning. There is greater value in the choice than there is difficulty in the challenge. In the challenge, there's a whole lot hanging in the balance. And there's much good, not just sacrifice. So I want to show you this. I want you to know something about the yes and the no that God wants you to apply to change your behavior. This is what I want you to know about the yes and no. In the no, there is no no without hope. There is no no without hope. In other words, God never asks you to say no to something without a reason to do so, and as a matter of fact, a reward for doing so. There's no no without hope. And there is a yes because he first said yes. Let me unwrap that for you a little bit. There's no no without hope. And that's verses 11 through 15 in chapter 2 that we read. I can say no because there's a reward later. There's really a, a parenthesis here. He says it in verse 11. God's grace bringing us salvation. He was good to us, as we're going to see before we even realize it, we did certainly, we didn't ever deserve it, we still don't, but before we even got it, his grace was shown to us, and that teaches us to say no, because he was first good before we could even attempt to be good. He was good to us. And then in verse 14, kind of the end of it, he he literally gives himself for us to redeem us out of all of this. He's got so much more in mind for us. He's got this eternal life that he's promised us, this world without end that's absolutely perfect that's there for us if we will only respond. No to ungodliest worldly passions. We can can live self-controlled, upright, and obedient lives. I can because there's a promise of hope. There's something coming. And there's something so much greater than any sacrifice I would ever have to give. God doesn't ask you to do anything that he hasn't done, and he doesn't ask you to do anything without rewarding you for it. Now, how good is that? And even though that that's true, and, and some of that is still out there for us, we, we don't know, we we haven't gotten to heaven so that we can look back and say, oh, wow, life really wasn't as long and as hard as I thought it was going to be. I, I really wish I had applied myself a little bit better. I realize we aren't there yet, but even, you know, that, that's what he's telling us, please believe me. And then he even gives 
benefits now if we will make these right choices. See? You end up with self-control. You, you, you end up living a better life. You're eager to do what is good. You have a, a confidence and satisfaction that what you're doing is right because you're free to do so. We're celebrating freedom in these days. What is freedom? Freedom is the opportunity to do what's right, not do whatever you want. That's what freedom really is. And we forget that. We live in such tremendous privilege and opportunity that we think freedom is getting whatever you like. We have it, and we have the marvelous country that we live in because some people in the past made some choices for, towards what was right over what they wanted. Every signer of the Declaration of Independence suffered tremendous cost and price for doing so. Most of them lost their lives. All of them lost their property. Their property, some of them, finished their days in abject poverty for prices. They paid to do what was right, not what they wanted. Nobody wanted that to happen. Nobody signed up to be persecuted. Freedom isn't what you whatever you want to do, freedom is the opportunity, it's actually the power in scripture to do what's right. They did it because there was greater value in the choice than the difficulty of the challenge. There is no no without hope. And the same is true with us. God doesn't ask anything of you that he hasn't done himself and that he doesn't reward you for. So we can say no. His Grace shows us and it teaches us that we can say no because what he gave us is so much greater than he'll, anything he'll ever ask of us. And then there's a yes because he said yes and that's what chapter 3 is about. I can do this because it has been done before. Now, I give you notes every uh, week and they're in here. On the back side is the, past, is is the passage of chapter 3 and it's divided up differently like this and I want you to see why. There's a reason why I did that because you have to understand why he, why he wrote this passage the way he did. Here's the yes. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, obedient, ready to do whatever's good. I've read it now several times. This is respect towards those who are hardest to listen to. This is taking initiative and looking for the opportunity. This is a real yes. This isn't just like a, well, if they ask it of me, I'll do it. He says, to be ready to do whatever's good, to be obedient, to slander nobody, be peaceable and considerate, seeking the best interest of other people. Now, that's what he's asking us to do. That's the positive stuff he's asking us to do. That's hard. What would cause me to do that? You don't like your government. You don't like your bosses. You don't like your situation. I don't want to be that way. What would ever cause me to want to treat the people that are hardest to treat that way? That way. Why would I do that? Because of verses 3 through 8. Now, I separated it out because if you get down to verse 8, it says, this is a trustworthy saying. He's referring back to verses 3 through 8. This is the trustworthy saying. Now listen to this. At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. 
You see, the very people that you don't want to obey and respect and that are in authority in your life for whatever reason, because it's your political authorities or your job situation or your schooling situation, because you'd look at them and say, you don't understand, they're fools, they're idiots, they're deceived, they're enslaved, they're a bunch of jerks, and I'm supposed to obey. We too were foolish, just like that. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs of the hope of eternal life. Look at all that he did. We were them. If we're honest with ourselves, we're still like them to some degree, aren't we? And he was kind to us when we were not. What did you do to ever deserve the love of God? Nothing. Because you don't. But he was kind anyway, and he took the initiative. We didn't deserve any of it. And then, when he saves us, he not only saves us, he changes us, and then he transforms us. You don't deserve what he's still doing in your life and all that he's going to give you in eternal life so that we could have the best forever. You kind of return to that. You remind yourself of that. You realize that as bad as you say they are, you're that. And then you think about how God loved you. In spite of all that, how on earth can we not expect, can God not expect, that we treat other people just like he treated us. Two statements and a question. Nothing you face will be harder than what he did for you, ever. Right? Nothing you face will ever be harder than what he did for you. What are you still doing for you? Everything you get is undeserved. And all you get is great. It's not even like he, he gives you something you don't deserve. What he gives you that you don't deserve is amazing. It's perfect and it's pure. And it's beyond our wildest dreams. Now in his forgiveness and his indwelling and his empowering Holy Spirit that gives us guidance and wisdom, his word that teaches us, and then eternal life that we're going to walk into that is just going to be beyond anything we've ever imagined. Everything you get is undeserved and all of it is great. So, why should anything you ever give to another person be measured by their worthiness? How dare we ever get stingy with a love that we can share, that we've received with somebody else because we don't think they're good enough. How dare we ever 
be any less generous with the love of God than God has been with his own love. Right? You see, when you get the right perspective, it starts to change how you view all that you do. So, then, he returns. That's why I divided it out. He, he wants you to see this is the yes. This is why. And then he gets to the bottom again and returns to what we should do because of what he has already done for us. Verse 8, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, right, that's us, right? may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And what are those good things? Right back up to the top of the passage. Be subject to rulers and obedient and ready to do what's good and slander no one and be peaceable and considerate. Always be gentle towards everyone, respecting those who are hardest to listen to, taking the initiative and looking for the opportunity to bless people who you don't think are worthy of that. And being considerate, seeking the best of every other person. We can do this. We just need a good reason and the proper perspective. And that is that there is much greater value in the choice than the difficulty there is in the challenge. There's no no without hope. He blesses and he honors and he rewards whatever you would choose to do and say no to. And then there's a yes because he said yes. Nothing you face will be harder than anything he ever did for you and everything you get is undeserved. So why would you ever carefully measure out what you would give to another? You see, I think our greatest problem lies in the fact that we so easily forget what he's done for us. Now here's the good news about that. He knew that. He knew it. And that's why he created this, his table. And in this table, he said, I want you on a regular basis to come back here. And I want you to remember. Because you forget. I forget. We all forget. For some reason, he's blessed us. We get spiritually spoiled and we think we deserve it. We think we're better because of it. Somehow we think that for some reason, we're just a little better than somebody else. But we're not, are we? We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved. And we lived in malice and envy and hating and being hated. But then there was this day... When the kindness and love of God drew us into a repentant place and we said, Dear God, you would do that for me? Wow. And he said, Oh, that's just the beginning. I'm not just going to forgive you. I'm going to change you. And I'm going to empower you. And I'm going to fill you. And I'm going to use you. Someday, I'm going to give you more than you can ever imagine. And guess what? It will never end. 
That's why we come back here. Because we've got to remind ourselves. And when we do, when we go back there, then we begin to, we, we begin to see everything differently. That our God isn't mean and our circumstances are overwhelming and how come he did this and how come he didn't do that? But we say, wow, you've got to be kidding. You would do that for me? And then you want to help me? And then you're going to offer me? And all he says in return is, now, now that I've blessed you with all that, wouldn't you like to be like that to somebody else? Wouldn't you like to demonstrate that love to those that are around you? Wouldn't you like to be somebody who intentionally looks for ways that they can be more obedient, more loving, more, more intentional in their relationships with other people, and, and not slandering, but seeking their best interest, whatever cost, because there's nothing I'll ever have to pay that will measure all that he paid for me. All God has ever wanted is a return on his investment. In you, he has invested his immeasurable love. And all he wants you to do is give it back to him and all those around you that he loves. And that's every single one. Because the Bible says God so loved the world, the whole world. Even the inconsiderate, pious, foolish, enslaved idiots and bosses and politicians and teachers and friends and neighbors and husbands and wives. So, let's go back here. And let's remember. Let's come back to this place and ask ourselves where we stand in the no's and the yeses. Look at all that he said no to so that he could offer you what he's offered you. And look at all that he said yes to so that he could offer you all that is to come. And let's celebrate that. And I trust that each one of us has done that, but I'm not so foolish as to think that every one of us has. So I would like to give an opportunity for each one of us to reflect on what that would mean. Also in your bulletin are these things called guided prayers. They're just an opportunity to um, help articulate some things that you might want to say to God that you don't know how to say. A prayer is just an open conversation with God. There's no magic formula, and these are not the perfect words. But if you're not sure how to express yourself, if you're searching for the truth and you don't know, there's a prayer for that. If you've never really come to understand all that God's done for you, there's a prayer of belief here that I would really encourage you to 
follow and allow that to be yours as you would express it to him. Because it says in here, I admit that I'm weaker and more sinful than I've ever before believed. But through you, I am more loved and accepted than I've ever dared to hope. And I thank you for paying my debt and bearing my punishment on the cross and offering forgiveness and new life, knowing that you have been raised from the dead, I turn from my sins and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. If you can take those words or words like them and, and mean them as you express them, then that act of faith is sufficient for God to forgive your sins, to truly enter your life and empower you and bless you and use you and someday he will give you all there is in store. Or maybe some of us are just struggling with sin or, or, or need to recommit again. I'll encourage you to use those if they would be of help to you. So can I invite you right now, before we begin, to pray? Take some time in silence and reflect on what you've heard and where you stand in the yeses and the noes, and make sure that you understand what he's done for you. And then ask for his grace and his strength to respond as he would have you respond. So pray, with, pray to him now, I pray.